Welcome to Art Openings, the podcast where there are no gatekeepers, no stupid questions, and art for all. Hosted by Samantha Sanders and Courtney Jordan and sponsored by Artist Network. So, sup with art incubators. What's an incubator anyway, let alone an art one? If this phrase calls to mind baby chickens heated to hatch and weird egg-centric space pods, we are here to pierce the veil, or at least add a coat of paint to it, giving you an artistic perspective on this 21st century phenomenon and why creative entrepreneurs might seek out an art incubator, why the gallery world might be threatened by these programs because of what they mean for creatives, makers, and artists, and what to look for in one if you are so inclined. We will be speaking with multi-award-winning entrepreneur, product designer, and animator Todd Wanish, who in his current guise helps creative, non-technical founders launch profitable businesses. Okay, so Courtney, when you first brought up this idea of an episode about art incubators, my first question was, naturally, what are (laughs) art incubators? It's actually something I'd never heard of, even though I kind of consider myself savvy about these kind of entrepreneurial things. You are. Um, I think mainly when I think of incubators, I think of like a bunch of tech VCs sitting around in Silicon Valley. So how is an art incubator different? No, well, I think that's, I mean, first of all, they are best known from the tech world. And they are organizations geared towards speeding up the growth or success of a startup, Um, you know, early stage companies and stuff like that. So they help entrepreneurs grow their business, but aren't all artists, art organizations, entrepreneurs is sort of where the connection happened or the bridge was built from. Um, incubator in tech to other industries. And that's actually a good point to to make is that it's not just, you know, tech. There are farming and ag, agriculture incubators, food incubators, fashion um, incubators, and they're all sort of built around their own niche industries and art being one of them. So an art incubator specifically is going to have, you know, certain key components, those being space, Resources and mentoring, which are, you know, the broadest ways to describe what can happen or in and and around in our incubator. So you are talking about a physical location. Can be, yes. Can be. Um, And if it's not that, it's often a collective of people who share a similar mindset, similar goal. Exactly. So usually space is part of of it. Like they will give free or, um, you know, reduced rate space. You could have your own studio residency parts can be um you know built into it so you would go for a period of time and there are others like you mm-hmm. so you have that kind of community um aspect which i actually think is is a um an earmark of an art incubator for sure and then so you, you definitely at a minimum in my mind or in the history of the ones i studied get a studio a space and then It involves possibly exhibitions, um, open studios and studio visits where you get access to, you know, people in the industry that you would want to meet. Editors, um, curators, gallerists, um, you know, other artists who might be able to critique your work, things like that. Teachers, things, um, you know, to offer you that boost. Mm -hmm. So be thinking of all the ways that, you know, a tech accelerator or incubator works, the same kind of things. How do you boost an artist Mm -hmm. but then there's this weird space of the creative entrepreneur which is where Todd will come into the conversation which is like you know I an artist may not look at their work as a product Mm -hmm. a creative entrepreneur definitely wants to start a business so that interplay you know uh, what can you gain from thinking of your work like a business or your you know career as a business as a creative is something that an art incubator can either 
show you the path or tell you that you definitely don't want to do it that mm-hmm. way. So so something I'm curious about is because I know where the money comes from, um, com- from kind of like the VC world and, and tech incubators. So where is the money coming from for art incubators? Well, they can be for profit. There are nonprofits. Um, schools will often do them. Universities, they could have like a finishing thing for um, students that are graduating or something that... Um, jump starts them into mm-hmm. their program. So a lot of times there are, you know, individual stakeholders, but again, I think the rule is there are no standards. Art incubators are definitely from what I found the least easily categorized, mm-hmm. mostly because even what they're getting out of them can so broadly vary because an artist looking for skill set development Mm -hmm. to business development to a creative entrepreneur using their creativity as a jumping off point for a business, Mm -hmm. totally different. Um, So in my mind, they can sort of be attacked on all fronts. And there are going to be a couple of things to um, look at if you're seriously considering getting into one. But first, we should probably just talk about you know, do we even really need art incubators? I was going to say, how is it different from like an artist in residency program? I actually, you know, to me, there's not that much difference because you have grants, you have gallery representation, and then you have like school programs. What really would be the difference, I think, is that you're seeking this out on your own. And art incubators that are specializing in business skills, Mm -hmm. like if you want to start a business around your particular whatever Mm -hmm. creative idea or art, um, which can be, you know, problematic, um, that would be the difference. And I think that's definitely one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about this today is because we've been hearing from our readers and from our listeners that a lot of people do want to kind of monetize this passion, for lack of a better word. If you are creating works that you would like to um, share with the world and you would like to sell them, then you are going to need to kind of ramp up your entrepreneurial, creative entrepreneurial skills. Exactly. Grants are being defunded. And the fact is, is that, you know, we're, we're asking artists to be more consumer focused. And at the same time, corporate titans are getting in the game. So Google, Microsoft, you know, they already have, um, you know, art artist residencies. But I actually don't think those artists are even maybe not savvy, but just aware enough of what they could be doing in that situation mm-hmm. to further their goals, maybe because they're just not thinking of their career in that way. But I, I do think art incubation or creative entrepreneurial incubation um, is something that we need to develop more because it puts the power and the money back into the maker's Mm -hmm. hands. Yeah, there's an element of being part of a collective that really offers a lot of strength that people aren't going to have if they're doing everything by themselves. It just gets exhausting. Right. And just like any business, you're not going to know the nuts and bolts of all of the things. So you being able to have access to the people who could maybe produce those for you Mm -hmm. um, and are running probably their own business, Mm -hmm. you know, that that can actually be a really great thing and just open your pool of, you know, uh, networking. So that might be one of the reasons why galleries are a little bit eh, about this idea. Yeah. And I think that's definitely part of it, because the more we empower artists with the ability to run their own business and also understand not just intuitively, but are able to articulate the reasons why that that business model Mm -hmm. isn't working for them is more, I think, a reason to be like, 
yeah, we reject that. We're going to do it this way. Yeah, know? galleries have been in control for so long. Totally. The, I mean, all, all of our lifetime. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's the thing that on the ivory, you know, tower, it's mm-hmm. the thing to knock off. So I think when we come back, we'll introduce Todd and we'll just jump into what he believes, you know, about art incubators and what, if anything, we should do about them. Yep. I'm excited to hear what he has to say. All right, we'll be back in just a second. Artist Network is proud to present SketchCon in collaboration with Sketchbook School. For three fun-packed days, we'll experience a nonstop extravaganza of rich visual presentations, inspirational talks, collaborative art projects, technical demonstrations, sketch crawls, and one-on-one advice. For the first time ever, over 500 creative folks, including many top sketchbook artists from around the world, will gather in sunny Pasadena this November 2nd through 4th to celebrate our art. We'll share tips, techniques, and ideas on drawing people, urban sketching, travel journaling, lettering, design, watercolor, and so much more. We'll learn about new art materials and new ways to fill our sketchbooks. We'll draw together, laugh together, eat and drink together, and leave filled with new ideas and creative inspiration. If you love to draw and paint in your sketchbook, you have to join us. Hurry, tickets are limited, and we know we say this all the time, but really, they are selling fast. So register at sketchcon.com. That's S-K-E-T-C-H-K-O-N.com. So we're back, and we are with Todd Bonish, uh, a friend of mine and a brainiac for sure. He's the one that introduced me to both the concept of incubator, accelerator, and art-specific ones. Um, we have him here in the studio. And before we get into discussions of art-specific incubators, tell us about your background. Tell us who you are and um, the experiences that sort of got you here. Yeah, so so I was actually uh, really fortunate to grow up within various art programs. Uh, When I was in high school, I was uh, really lucky and I I got accepted into a magnet school program, a magnet school that focused on the arts. So the way I explain to people uh, is that if you've ever ever seen that classic show fame it was kind of like fame for for a high school so there was dance and theater mm-hmm. and drama and act you know right. visual art and sculpting and this whole thing so that was the the formal education i had in my 4 years from freshman to senior year where'd you grow up uh, in florida florida okay. north florida jacksonville so yeah. the school is called douglas anderson school of the arts and uh, once I graduated that and, and moved up to Atlanta, I went to art college. So by the mm-hmm. time I had graduated art school, I had eight years uh, oh, yeah. of art training and a minimum, I think, of like six years of art history and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff, um, which really screwed me up. <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah, was... you're sitting here today as a self-supporting adult. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I had to deprogram myself. That's right. Um, and, uh, uh, when I, when I finally got up to New York city, um, uh, I, I spent a lot of time working for myself and I was fortunate again to, to, uh, even though I didn't know what I was doing formally within mm-hmm. business or within art business specifically, I was able to scrape together, um, a company and, and I was always kind of entrepreneurial. Um, my definition of entrepreneurial entrepreneurism at that time mm-hmm. was, uh, someone says, Hey, can you do that? And I say, Pfft. 
Yeah. I'd do that all day. And then I would figure out a way to do that and deliver it to him, right? It didn't matter yeah. really what it was. It just happened to me more at the time. It was more about animation and things like that because mm-hmm. I had done a lot of, uh, at that point, I'd done a lot of animation and directing uh, down in Atlanta for Cartoon Network and, okay. and Turner Broadcasting. So that's how you're paying your bills. Yeah. It okay. started off as learning the craft at Cartoon Network or, mm-hmm. or through Cartoon Network affiliated studios. And then... Um, started to to try my hand at it with with music videos. Uh, did a lot of hip hop music videos because yeah. in Atlanta at the time, uh, Dirty South hip hop was huge. Ooh, what so, have you done? Uh, I got to work uh, on a music video with the Roots back in the day um, awesome. for Outcast with our Stankonia tour. Oh my god! Uh, Tony Braxton mm-hmm. uh, got nominated for uh, uh, MTV Music video of the year award for that and a BET award for that. Oh, that's awesome. Um, nominations we didn't win, but whatever, man. Still counts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Still counts. Totally. Still counts. <laughs> put that on the wall <laughs> but um but um all, all this experience taught me you know it gave me the confidence to, for me to say man i think i could just do this like the mm-hmm. only thing different between me and the studio head at least in my perspective at the time was that they were getting paid more than i was yep. so i said well all they're doing is getting the job i can do that right like that's not hard so i i decided to go out on my own and kind of figure that out uh and stumble my way through it for years but i always seemed to pay the bills and was able to to get a few people to work for me and, and stuff like that yeah. so um uh through that process and through that progression i was always trying to evolve my idea of what business was and i was lucky mm-hmm. enough to have uh, a mentor or two who really forcefully broke me out of that artist mode Mm -hmm. because even though I had clients and even though I was paying bills and even though I was um, uh, doing the things that I thought a business Mm -hmm. owner or an art entrepreneur should do, um, I really didn't have a clue as to what I was doing, right? So I had a few good mentors who pulled me out of that and said, no, look, this is what business is. You really got to talk to people Mm -hmm. and it's really about relationship building and, and, um, it took me a long time to find my business style because I, I had so such a corrupt So what do you think your reticence was? Do you think it was just discomfort with, um, did you feel like you're having to put on a persona? Did you feel, oh, yeah. like, what was well, the challenge because, for you? And this is why I was only half joking when I said, I, I think that like, you know, all those years of art school, you know, <laughs> fucked me up. It was because, you know, I had this, I had this idea that, that I, I had been told from day one, yeah. um, not just through through teachers or professors, some of which were, were phenomenal. So mm-hmm. I don't want to diss art school or, or my, my teachers, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, through through their experience and and through just art history and what the myth of the art artist and the art world. It's pure. Pu- it's pure. <laughs> you focus on your craft, little yeah. butterfly. <laughs> you focus on your craft and one day there'll be a lightning strike outside and the uh-huh. rain will be, be pouring down mm-hmm. outside and there will come a knock on your door. <laughs> And then when you open that door, someone will open there, be there and say, you are a genius. You've been chosen. You have been selected. Yeah. Can I represent you yeah. in my blue chip gallery? And you just assume, you know, you are taught that your job is to focus on your craft yeah. and you are supposed to be better at your craft. Focus on making the work, making on the product, however you want to frame it, fine. Uh, but the business side of things should be left to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it took me a very long time to realize that what you're doing when you do that is you're essentially giving somebody else permission to run your life, yep. right? And you're also putting, you're giving your career and your future, you're putting that in the hands of somebody who may or may not have your best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. Usually they have their best interest at mm-hmm. heart, which is fine. That's called humanity. Right. But when you <laughs> do that, you know, if you don't have some kind of formal training, if you don't have some kind of kind of on the ground running, this is how I'm going to be able to, here's my logistics 
program. Mm-hmm. Here's here's my trading services. Here's how I handle my taxes. Here's my accountant. Here's my attorney. Like here's the system. Here's my production pipeline. And oh, this piece has to be delivered on this date and this time. If you don't have some kind of basic groundwork for delivering whatever product mm-hmm. or service that you have, even in the context of painting and sculpture, yep. you are screwed. Mm-hmm. Because eventually somebody's going to come come to you, that person that was managing you, and they're either going to say, "I'm retiring," or "I got hit by a truck." Sorry, <laughs> or you're out of style or oh you know your last your last um show didn't really do so well so we're gonna actually have to you know maybe you just need to work on that new series a a little longer and Mm -hmm. that that turns into you know a midlife crisis yeah (laughs) well no but we spoke of that because like basically in our intro we mentioned you know does the gallery world really want artists to become entrepreneurs Mm -mm. and no from exactly everything that you're saying is we want you to be receptive to what we are going to give you we want you to stay on the string and do it a certain way like the cable company of the art world right a, they don't a, want you to stream. It's a dirty secret. It's right. a dirty little secret. The, the thing is that they're not gonna they're not gonna tell you. And it's the same thing with startups. The same thing with with investors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same game, and it's the same people. It's just that one side buys the artwork and the other side sells it for yeah. you know on your behalf. Mm-hmm. The deal is is that you again you have to think about why people would tell you certain things. You cannot be gullible. You know, it's it's one thing to take something at face value. It's another mm-hmm. thing to really look at a certain situation, understand the motive behind mm-hmm. what somebody is telling you. If 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 you have a partner mm-hmm. who is taking somewhere between 40 and 60% of your earnings, <laughs> yeah. it is in their interest to make you a dependent. Yeah. Period. For right. sure. It, that's it. And that is why if you look at the top artists, the, the mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking the Jeff Koons, the, the Murakamis, the yeah. Princes, the, the, the top, the, the Damien Hurst, mm-hmm. they have flipped that paradigm. They are business owners and they command a higher percentage of equity on their own work now, so that the dealers think- truly do fight and work for them. And and you prove it because you have, you've got people like Damien Hurst who go out and do their, their, their pharmacy. They go right to auction and they make yeah. $250 million or whatever it is. And that's a, that is a statement. Forget the money. That is a statement to the people who run that system saying, I don't fucking need you. Yeah. I don't need you. Yeah. You can work with me. That is a statement. And that, I think, primarily is why he did that. He didn't mm-hmm. need the money. He just right. wanted to prove that he could do it and that if at any time he wanted to do whatever he wanted to do, he could do it. Yep. That's that's really what it boils down to, right? right. And it's the same thing with investors. Like an investor is going to say that you need their money, mm-hmm. right? Oh, well, you got to you got to have to buy your a team, business and you're going to have to. Yeah. You how have you going to how you going right. to have a how you going to market your team market? How are you going to scale a team? How are you going to build? How are you going to do all this stuff? Do you know how to do all of you these need things. a half a million dollar seed round? Clearly, obviously, and and a lot of people buy into it because yeah. the entire system supports it. News articles support it. Um, peers support it, and the people who are considered the authorities who you tend to listen to support it. But mm-hmm. it all benefits them doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing or that it's unnecessary on any side of it right but you at least have to go into things with your eyes open and understand where these things are coming from does that make sense yeah yeah, absolutely at at what point in your career or what age however you want to mark market it um how when did that understanding start to come into play like when did you when did you first begin to understand that? It was slow. Yeah. It was slow. I fought it every step of the way yeah. because I, you know, I, I think it's way too dramatic to call it a, a you know a career of being brainwashed, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I think that that you know. Uh, that's too dramatic of, of you know, an image. Uh, but an let's image. go with it. Yeah, let's go we with love it. drama. Sure, drama. <laughs> the brainwashing of Todd Warner. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, but 
when you're taught something from a very early age and it is reinforced not just through people that you respect, mm-hmm. right, but through pop culture, through movies, through books, through articles, history itself, history yeah. itself. Oh, the new the newest issue of you know art form is is, is the same thing over right. and over and over, and um, I just I there was no question. So it it was a lot of deprogramming. It took mm-hmm. years, and it took it. I think in in any topic, whether mm-hmm. it's whether it's business or art or or religion, anything, mm-hmm. for you to really deprogram yourself, you have to be you have to really be willing to forgive yourself for past mistakes, and you have to be open to the truth. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, a lot of the times when you start to find out real information and data on it, when you actually do deep research. More often than not, you start to question the researcher saying, well, this person's biased. That's complete crap. Because yeah. all these other people told me it was different. You've invested you're in one person. Yeah, you're yeah. one person. I don't. But then you you start to actually experience it or you start mm-hmm. to see it in, in culture or you see it in your own experience. And that's when you're like, oh, no, this is legit. So yeah. so for me, um, I, had this, I had this studio. I had an animation studio mm-hmm. uh, in Bushwick here in New York. Brooklyn, whatever. Mm-hmm. And same difference, right? It's yeah. Eighth borough or whatever. Um, <laughs> and um, I, for the life of me, I could not scale the business. Mm. Um, I was caught in a, uh, almost a, a revenue, it's quote unquote, a, like a revenue roller coaster, mm-hmm. right? Which is essentially, um, any freelancer knows what this is about. Basically, you go out, you get a job, doesn't matter how big those checks were. And I always got, I did everything I could to get bigger and bigger checks. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter um, how big that check was. Um, it was uncanny. The time it took me to complete that job would be the exact amount of time it took for the money to run out. So if oh, I had yeah. a $30,000 check from a client, I was like, that's like right. my entire year income. Like, that's <laughs> right. fantastic. Right. But it would take me the rest of the year to get uh, to get this client off my back or just, yeah. you know, it, right. was, it was uncanny. So I was like, what the hell am I doing wrong? Um, on top of that, I started doing my own research because I was like, well, clearly I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. And I wanted at that time, I still had my heart set on on blue chip galleries in the art world. Mm-hmm. So I just started doing my research. And um, I don't know if it's still true today. I, I, I'm sure it is if you actually wanted to do yeah. the research. But at, what I did is I went and I took uh, I made a list of all of the top blue chip galleries. I made a list of all the artists within those blue chip galleries, mm-hmm. uh, the ones that were my age or, or recent, yeah. right? Not the Picassos or yeah. Matisse's or anything yeah. like that. Uh, and I found out where they came from. Mm-hmm. Where do they go to school? What background do they have? And I just looked at the numbers and it was something like 90% came from either uh, Hunter, Yale, or Columbia University. You got <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was over 90%. <laughs> yeah. And then and then there was another percentage uh, that was like another 4 or 5%. I don't have a term for it, but it was... It was with the, it might sound harsh, but I don't have a, a proper term. It was sure. like ethnic work, which was I'm Iranian and I make Iranian work. I'm Jewish, mm-hmm. I make Jewish work. I'm mm-hmm. African and I make African. Like mm-hmm. it was very specific identity work. Yeah, yep. right. Identity. Um, yeah. And then there was another few percentage points uh, of people who had direct connections. These were the you know the dashes and people who who yeah. had who had societal connections to these galleries. They grew up in the system, so, so they sure. get the shows. Again, none of this is a negative. It's just yeah. the way it is. Uh, and then there was 1%, the Basquiat <laughs> effect, right? Yeah. The 1% who seemed to come from either some school in you know, Chicago or Kansas City or some yeah. random place, and they somehow managed to get that good spot. Yeah. And I was like, 
this is damn near impossible. Right. Like I just looked at the numbers and it, and it makes you realize, mm-hmm. you know, I can either go and try to get accepted into these schools because mm-hmm. I don't have that societal connection or I need to do something else. Mm-hmm. And that was when I started to really say, well, I need to at least, I need to at least investigate or entertain the idea of, of starting an art business and focus on the business side because I was bad at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I, I, I had launched products and all this stuff, but the selling of those products and um, the marketing of those products were uh, um, not very good. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, Oh, an Instagram or we didn't, uh, oh, you know, an open party, like for, we had right. launched designer toys and mm-hmm. we launched apparel lines and we'd launched websites and apps. Yeah. And I mean, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and we kept having moderate success, right? Things would happen. People would, we'd get press, all this stuff would happen. That was on a basic level. There would mm-hmm. be a buzz around it. And then that, once that buzz goes away, you're, you just have a business. Yeah. And I was like, well, that was, it. <laughs> did at any point <laughs> right? did you think like well this is as big as I'm gonna get no really <laughs> so you had the confidence to know that you could go further yeah there's no choice I mean you either keep going you grind it out or you die yeah. off like and, and, and here's the deal here's the deal is yeah. like I uh, and Courtney I'm, we've talked about mm-hmm. it like I am literally the world's worst employee. I suck working for other people. Yeah. So I kind of figure that I like spare other people the displeasure of working with me by, by just yeah. trying to like, you know, carve it out uh, of, you know, of rock and stone with my teeth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, it's, no, man. I mean, you have yeah. to, you got to be able, I, I've always, I believe in what I do. You yeah. know, and it's not, it's not an ego thing. It's not a, like, I'm the best. Like, mm-hmm. that's clearly not the case, mm-hmm. but it's, um, but you, you don't undervalue your, your no, I, you know what I mean? What you can see. And I think that's why for me, and this is where I want to sort of take it to your experiences with incubators or that kind of system, because your self enlightenment, you are realizing that like, I'm an artist I want to run a creative business. Mm-hmm. I'm so-called bad at it, though I think you're totally underselling yourself. <laughs> but from there, like, were there questions? And then you smartly asked, like, how can I get answers? Like, is that where the intersection occurred? Yeah. Um, it it was piecemeal for, like, a decade. <laughs> really. Like, yeah. it was really slow. Because I had this, I had the myth of the business. I thought business yeah. people were greasy and sleazy and, like, Wall Street dudes or something, and I was like, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I just had the really car, used car salesman, like, yeah, hey, sure. you want to buy my product? <laughs> hey, only a thousand dollar art painting, all right, hey. And I just, I couldn't be like that. Wasn't me. I was, yeah. you know, background in like graffiti and skateboarding yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. comics, and like, there's no way, man. So, um, it was really slow, and I didn't really experiment. And I, and if I'm being completely honest, I avoided it. Yeah, completely, mm-hmm. yeah. like a hundred percent avoided it, and, um. Finally, once we had we had launched uh, a an art startup, uh, or we were working on an art startup, and I thought there was an opportunity for it to be popular and get traction, mm-hmm. and um, m- we gained traction in, in certain ways, but not in the way that matters, which is revenue. So we had mm-hmm. a growing fan base, and people loved it, but the money wasn't coming in. Yeah, um, which is really standard. I mean, that's like yeah. it's not even a thing nowadays. It's like whatever. Um, but at the time, I was like, okay, I need. Like it's not going to stop me necessarily, but I I gotta figure I gotta I gotta dive into the marketing side and the sales side. Mm-hmm. I be, I just have to do it. And and the 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 event for me that changed things. There was a couple things. The first was I saw an article uh, on a competitor of ours, and they blew it out. The they just blew up, um, and they had a 
vaguely similar background. They were design students mm-hmm. and they just blew up. And I'm like, well, there's got to be, what's the secret? And yeah. I, I did a lot of digging and research and, and I just kind of kept it in the back of my head and looked out for articles or interviews or mm-hmm. some, some kind of magic information. Indicator, right. Indicator, yeah. And what I, I discovered uh, was that they had, they ended up having a guy on their team who was just a marketing guy, a marketing whiz, and he ended up uh, pitching the idea in a way that other digital marketers would appreciate. Essentially, essentially printing, doing print on demand for mm-hmm. marketers. And once I looked at that, and these marketers yeah. were making like millions of dollars off of this service, which meant this service was making millions of dollars yeah. as well. It started to click a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, and I was like, I, I was just, I made a choice. I was like, you know what? I, I need to learn how to do this. And then after forcing myself to learn it, because um, marketing has a, is a dirty word and sales is a dirty word. All, all <laughs> this, all this stuff yeah. that's important is like, <laughs> like, it's like eating broccoli or like, it's bad for you. Yeah. Um, what I eventually learned uh, is I found a way to make it mine. I found a way to make it interesting to where I could dig in with my teeth. And mm-hmm. and what did it for me was when I I found a guy who had a really interesting perspective on sales and marketing, which was essentially that it's storytelling. Yeah. You're essentially crafting, and this isn't like ads, this is like yeah. really bonding uh the creator of a work to a specific audience who is ha- mm. has an emotional interest in that person's success, therefore they invest money and time and all this stuff. Yep. And once I realized that essentially what it was was the classic hero's journey tale, mm-hmm. right? Crafted through emails or through Facebook ads or mm-hmm. through webinars or whatever it is. Once I understood that it's just storytelling, you're writing a movie where you happen to be the main character. Mm-hmm. Once that that perspective was nailed into me and I mm-hmm. saw it, like it, it, it just kind of like, you know, opened a big door for me. I was like, oh, <laughs> because I know all about that. Yeah. All creative people intrinsically are really good storytellers. We, we were all just tell our stories in the same in different way ways. Over, yeah. Yeah. So once you, once you, if you, you're like, oh, well, I can. I was always kind of into writing. I'm not an author, yeah. but I can creatively learn how to write something. Right. And if I'm crafting a story and it's my story, which I know, well, then it's just a simple. Uh, it's just a it's just a way of of structuring something in a way that I feel comfortable with, mm-hmm. ethically selling mm-hmm. without with in a, in a passive way and on your terms sense? for sure and on my terms mm-hmm. and on your terms right mm-hmm. um so so that was the beginning of it and now mm-hmm. and then um by by jumping into to you know incubators and stuff yeah. like that it um it, it helped to to clarify it helped to really sharpen that um, mm-hmm. to the point where now. Um, I've probably done a 180. Like I, I tell everybody I meet, like it's, if you're a creator, like, um, the difference between amateurs and pros. And mm-hmm. I don't think most, I don't think people know this. And, and I, again, I was fortunate enough to do like, yeah. you know, I, I worked at Marvel for a while, Marvel entertainment. I worked with Jeff Koons for a while. Mm-hmm. So I've seen this on in multiple uh, industries mm-hmm. and I, I've seen this with multiple, you know, huge, huge people and, and all that. Yeah. Um, the difference is this, is that amateurs make something in order to sell it. Really? They make something first so that they can sell it. Think of yeah. everybody you on know spec, yeah. who who's on on a normal what I would call a normal level. Right. They make work. 
Right. They make paintings, they make this, and they hopefully they sell it. Mm -hmm. Pros do the exact opposite. It's a completely different ballgame. They sell it first. They sell something in order yeah. to make it. And they sell it based on their story. They sell it based saying. on their story. Um, I, I've seen it firsthand. You know, you yeah. make uh, Coons, Jeff Coons used to um, make large prototypes. I mean, we're talking like not even expensive ones. He would, I remember one time uh, I walked into the studio and he had uh, printed out uh, just on a nice printer, um, you know, 10 foot tall a 10 foot tall sculpture mm -hmm. right it was just a photoshop thing that he blew up they blew up mm -hmm. the people in his office blew up and it was 10 feet tall and he had multiples of them all different ones yeah um in a semicircle and then um uh, some of the other assistants had had glued it onto uh foam core and just cut out the foam core and put it up like a stand yeah cost what 20 bucks a piece like yeah. there's nothing there like okay it was a really nice photocopy <laughs> you know, the print the printer was you know top notch so yeah the pre gold lace print printer but whatever it, it was it was just a semicircle, maybe uh maybe 10 works i don't remember the specific number but it yeah. was a, it was a easy thing that day, he had a lot of the collectors come in. He had people flying in, and he would just talk about the works and say, "Oh, this is gonna be this. Two of these are sold. One of those is sold." Yeah. And he would just target his marketing message based on who that person was. If that person came from the art world, he would talk about art history. Yes. And if you've read any articles or, or seen any videos, it's tied to Dali, and and he's got his yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Anything that you see is is obviously targeting to the art world. Mm-hmm. When somebody would come in who was from a different uh, market, from an mm -hmm. industrialist, mm -hmm. right? Someone who came from high finance or, or you know, these these huge barons mm -hmm. that that he's you know sells to. Um, if they did not have any idea about the art world, he would talk about the technology, and the physics needed, and That's the so type smart. the type of technology because he's using NASA scientists and. <laughs> You know, seven axis diamond tipped mill drillers and all, mm -hmm. all these kind of crazy gold things. Gold plated printers. In <laughs> gold plated printers. And, and, but he would, he would attach what their interest right. is yeah. to the work. Yep. And that's fundamental because any of these the guys, message. it's not about you at the end of the day. Yeah. Like no one cares what you make. Well, you're giving them the connection to take home. Right. Like it, when they have that, then they have a personal relationship to they, the work. They have a personal relationship to the work, and they have a way to talk about it. Yes, they have which a is way important. to talk about it's it. Social right. currency, and to it's be on able to their talk about it. If, right. If their I level. own, if I'm a car manufacturer, mm -hmm. and I and I have a hundred thousand employees, I know I know that business intimately. I know yeah. all the mechanics and the robotics and everything, all the physics necessary to mm -hmm. make that production right. line. If I come into a place and it's vaguely familiar mm -hmm. and the guy is talking in a language that i can kind of understand and that ex excites me mm -hmm. right because that's my business yeah. i'm much more likely to attach to that work for sure and he is what he's done is he's made the work visually easy it's it's a brilliant marketing th strategy but it's incredible would you I, I know you have a personal relationship with him but the way you're describing it doesn't sound like he's putting on any kind of false self it just sounds like he's a he's a guy who knows these things so he can tailor um, his interest and his knowledge to people individually. It's not like he's, you know, going home and jotting out notes. No, that, it's, it's also, it's, it's years earnest. of practice. It's, it's yeah. earnest. It's earnest. And it's, I mean, at least this is my perspective yeah. on it, right? I'm sure everyone else would have a different sure. one. Um, but because of my background and what I had been building in my own life with my own businesses, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I, when I came into the studio, I had already had a business, mm -hmm. right? So I took the, I actually made probably was still one of the hardest 
business decisions that I ever had, which was I shut down my studio because the opportunity to go into a studio mm-hmm. came up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm never going to get this chance again to yeah. actually, you know, I knew how to build my own business yep. or at least try to build my own business, but I'd never seen somebody who would mm-hmm. the top of the top in any regard. Mm-hmm. I'd, I've never seen that. How does that work? And when I got in, I was like, oh, this is exactly what mm-hmm. I was this, starting to right. do. Like, oh, this is normal. Oh, okay. Like, it's just different departments and it's, yeah. everyone has their gig and, you know, this very set up normal. I mean... Were there, you know, different things because of the type of different instances of of uh, of oddities because mm-hmm. of the type of product? Yes. Yeah. Right. It's fine art. So there's all these right. things that, like, if you ever tried to do in a normal business or a regular business, mm-hmm. would just be nuts. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's very be- it's very specific to what he was selling. So my perspective on it was that it was very earnest. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, it doesn't mean. It, it doesn't mean he's not a businessman. I mean, yeah, or sure. cagey, and you know, yeah, it doesn't. Targeting. It doesn't mean there are things there, that there are other personality quirks. But but <laughs> speaking speaking specifically on on watching somebody do their craft, yeah, right? right. You're like, oh, right, wow, That's how it's done. got it. And literally, that would had had matched. It was a pattern matching, right? Yeah, that started to match what I had already kind of started to learn Mm -hmm. right other other things were coming to me where i was like that was saying no it's really about this and then when you see it in action from someone who you have to respect on some level um it 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 clicks does that make sense it does and one of the things we were talking about earlier is that we've kind of entered the age of identity and and how much that plays into how you market yourself so i'm really curious your sort of gut reaction to this notion that people are brands, that there are personal brands. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that's almost taken as a truism now, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that that's true. So I'm really curious what your thoughts are on that. Um, I think I think that it really depends on what um, your definition of brand is. Mm-hmm. Uh, visual people tend to think of brand, branding in visual terms. Yeah. You know, oh, you're a brand? Yeah, I've got a Pinterest account. Like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I got yeah. a brand. Like, no, it's not about what something looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Jeff Koons' brand is not the sculptures or the paintings, although that supports it. Yeah. Right. The product supports the brand. But the brand is the association in the customer client's mind of what it is that they're actually getting. You hear Jeff Koons and you think of something, you feel something. People do not buy objects. Mm-hmm. People don't buy iPhones. What they buy is what that iPhone can do for them, mm-hmm. both both physically. Oh, it's got a calculator, and I can download <laughs> apps, you know. Um, and the emotional attachment, the social identity that we place on these objects, yeah. right? Um, people who have iPhones tend to believe that they're going places in life. Mm-hmm. That is a they've done tons of research on this. Like they believe that they're up and comers, they're they're pro- young professionals, they're yeah. going places. It doesn't mean any of that. I know. I'm like, that's so gross. I'm throwing mine away. I have the anti, I have the Android. So I'm like, I'm very, no, but my, it's just as insidious because I'm like, I am thrifty. I do not follow trends. That's my identity. I don't follow trends. I don't follow, I I am a, you know, it's it's a very, whatever you associate (laughs) with yourself is what you install on to the object. And it is, and it is the business's job to recognize that and amplify it. Right. 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 If I do ads or or you know or commercials mm-hmm. that that say that to you, mm-hmm. you buy that phone. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's the same thing whether right. it's an, a painting or a sculpture or or anything, any creative work. Mm-hmm. And the problem that artists, one of the problems that artists have, is that we get stuck internally. 
You know, what do I want to do? It's about me. It's my journey, my emotional state. Mm -hmm. The work needs to be an expression of me. Even if you're offered opportunities to literally make money. Yes. Like, even if it is like, could you make another one of those or a this or a variation or right? It becomes a personal dilemma to have to debate that. For the last 20 years, I've had friends who were incredibly talented painters um, (laughs) who would turn down opportunities uh, to use their Skills, a- amazing abilities. ability mm-hmm. because they were worried that doing something outside of painting mm-hmm. uh, or sculpture would tarnish their brand. That right. people would say, oh, well, they're going to think that I, I do Commodify. t-shirts or they, they think yeah. that I, I'm a sculpt, uh, I'm a it. toy designer or they, they might think that I'm a muralist instead of what I want to be, which is a painter. Right. And, and you know... It only takes a few examples to bust that myth and you have a new three-minute mile record to, to or beat. also you know? understanding that about yourself or you as a creative or even you as a painter are not so fragile. That your, your standing in that world or your abilities in that particular pursuit are not so easily uh, diluted. Do you know what I mean? Like some of them, I feel like really take it to heart. And it also goes back to what we were talking about before. If you believe that the, if you believe that you don't have the power of your career, if if you believe that somebody else is in charge of what it is that I do, then you can't piss these imaginary people off. And so you're not going to do anything. You're not going to do anything to rock the boat, even when it doesn't exist. (laughs) People who's never had a show, never had a show. (laughs) I don't want to ruin it by doing this other thing, (laughs) even though it would be paying me to do what I like to do. And it's like, well, yo, you know, you can always like start there. <laughs> you know, you like, could try see if yeah. it works. Well, and especially because like situations like that, I I know we're trying, and I feel like all of us in this room are kind of like, go ahead and do it. It's not going to be a to Todd's point as gross as you think it is. <laughs> is nor as like you're you're just not going to have a bad reaction to it. You're actually going to just realize you have more opportunity than not. But like it can also spur new growth. Yeah. You might do something, and yeah, you've you've done it in the uh, along the dictates of someone's commission well, or whatever. Yeah. But that, that's the other it, that's the other dirty little secret of of you know kind of self apprenticing, right? Mm. You you don't have to just because you work somewhere or do something doesn't mean you have to assign that label to yourself right you yes. can you can learn whatever you want to learn like yes. you know for me going into to the jeff coon studio at that time i had a mission i was like i need to learn how this dude sets up his business mm-hmm. you know it doesn't mean i was like rifling through papers but just seeing how people knowing, why you're knowing what people's jobs were yeah what right. do you do and then the side effect of that was that i was getting paid Albeit much, much, much less than, you know, I, I had at the studio. Yeah. But um, I was getting paid to learn new skills. So when I left there, I was like, I, I can I can sculpt and paint a, something of the quality of a $6 million sculpture. Mm-hmm. That's, That's, that is a skill that, I mean, it's probably rusty right now. But <laughs> when I left, it was fresh and I had yeah. that skill. And I was like, I was like, I can sculpt anything. I mean, I can make something look mm-hmm. like a Jeff Koons piece. Like mm-hmm. that is invaluable because that's very desirable it is a sh- nice making nice shiny objects is so hard to do. Cl- but clarify this because yeah. i think you went into the coon situation kind of having done your own self-apprenticing you were finding out truths about the situation about the environment that you were in as an artist on your own yeah and then you took a step further into i'm going to like go into these programs and you know 
get more of the business savvy or the business legitimacy? Or I guess just it, it was it being around other people who were along your same path? Like, what was it that drew you into the incubator yeah. milieu? It, it was, mm-hmm. it was, um, milieu. I know. That's, that's, that's a great, on. that's a great no word. Um, kudos. kudos. <laughs> um, it was, it was, you know, you, you fail enough. <laughs> you get to a point where you, where you fail You are so exaggerating. <laughs> um, it, it was, I knew my weakness. I knew what my weakness was, and I had read enough books and articles mm-hmm. to understand it from a from from a you know from, you know as best you can from yeah. reading it mm-hmm. and a survivor's it standpoint from a survivor's <laughs> standpoint, and then seeing it in person. Right. But I didn't have the skills, or at least I didn't believe that I had the skill set or, or skills in place to 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 put those things together. What I saw that worked and what I read that worked. There's always that, you know, you always have to put these things into action. Right. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It's gonna <laughs> you've never ridden a bike before, you're gonna bust your knees up. It's gonna right. suck. But you don't right. you gotta do it anyway. Right. So I needed to move that. I needed to put it into motion. So um because of where I was at the time, we had a we had um built a, a startup for artists like a decentralized gallery platform mm-hmm. and um i really thought it would take off and in fact what i know now i'm like no i really think i could do it now <laughs> um but um I, I wanted i didn't want to screw up and i needed a little bit of guidance i felt like i needed some type of step-by-step mm-hmm. i needed someone to say um okay we're gonna learn about this and then um have a peer group of people who are actually doing it because uh, i think another problem that artists had and i know i had this um i don't know how many other people do but Mm -hmm. um it always felt like i was the one on the outside hermit syndrome well hermit syndrome kind of um it was more it was more along the lines of i it got to the point where to my business friends i was an artist Mm -hmm. and to my artist friends i was a business dude Mm -hmm. right even though i was doing both like you know it's you know, you get to a point where you're in the middle. Mm-hmm. And most of my network, my friends and, and people that I hung out with were artists. They right. were not, you know, when I start talking to them about automated e- email sequences, they were like, <laughs> what? What <laughs> is that? You know, they, they, yeah. just, they were just like, cool. And they would just like drink another beer. <laughs> and and so I, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to find people kind of like that just so mm-hmm. that I can, you know, have just like just like when you when you're if you're an artist or creative you're talking about people who can relate yeah. to the art side and be like you, you know we can talk about creativity all day and be like oh i know exactly what you mean i needed that for the business side and yeah. and i had hoped my hope was is that i wasn't going to be looked down on, upon because i was like some scrubby artist dude mm-hmm. you know um and and luckily that wasn't the case everyone's really open and, and stuff like that so jumping into incubators and accelerators mm-hmm. um was a way for me to to connect myself with a network of people who were doing essentially the same thing that I was doing, which was, uh, you know, surrounding myself with very creative people mm-hmm. from different backgrounds. They usually came from, they might've come from different schools or finance or j- different yeah. types of jobs, but the behavior was the same. They were still mm-hmm. building something from nothing and they were still trying to get that dream, that creative mm-hmm. dream in their head mm-hmm. into something tangible. Yeah. And and so again, this is about how to connect whatever it is, your story, connecting mm-hmm. the story um, of what is actually happening with you know um, business with, framework with a business framework so that you mm-hmm. can you can find a way as someone creative someone not used to that type of system yeah. to say oh I recognize this you know everyone might be wearing nicer you know 
ties or something or, or shirts or shoes than yeah. I am. But, you know, okay, I got this. So so um, by doing that and, and under, starting to learn how people were building their own businesses, mm-hmm. um, it was less about less about a course or specific training and more about just talking to people who were building businesses, Mm -hmm. creative businesses. These weren't like banks, you know what I mean? These were like people launching apps and and really cool companies and stuff that's, you know, you guys probably know now, like, and, and being able to like call somebody or shoot an email and be like, Hey man, I'm having this problem trying to figure out um, how, how to get this to market Mm -hmm. or what did you guys do? Oh yeah. We had the problem too. And we did this. We actually paid for, for a PR firm, like 10 grand, but that was a total waste of money. We really, you should just do it yourself. Just do this. Great. Like that's all I need to know. You know what I mean? And, and just surrounding yourself with like-minded people. Um, And I got to tell you, like most of the people in the startup world are, um, incredibly similar to people in the art world, like artists. Really, and and they are not douchey at all. I think I've met maybe one or two people in my in a in the last decade that one I was or like two douches. You are one lucky. or two douches. <laughs> well, but no, but I think that is a good point because you're saying the most appealing part of the incubator, whether it was well for you, it wasn't though you were an artist bringing that to the table. That it was the peer to peer to be able to brainstorm and be a sounding board. And actually, some of them have already sort of you know, gone down that road and can give you insight. And that was, it was, it was a sharing thing. It was a sharing thing. And I think it was also like, um, a huge curiosity thing because, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone comes from similar backgrounds in certain circles. People click, click, Mm -hmm. you know, clicks. Mm -hmm. And, And so what I found really quick was that one of the things that made people interested to talk to me about stuff was the fact that I was an artist, the fact that I was creative because they felt that they weren't creative. They were just starting. Really? They didn't go to art school. Right. They were always trying to be creative. That's why they left their job to start their startup. They want to be creative. Yeah. And a lot of them to this day don't feel like they're creative, although they're they're incredibly creative. It's but just a different, that creativity comes out in different ways. I think that gets to something that we are kind of dancing around, which is that I think you have two really unique personality traits that are kind of superpowers that have enabled you to achieve. And one is the humility to be able to ask questions and to be curious, um, because a lot of people, I think, don't necessarily want to ask. Like, I think they feel insecure asking. Yeah. Um, I just feel like you're able to think very objectively about yourself. So I think that... Yeah. Oftentimes people don't have a lot of personal perspective. So I think that can sometimes get in the way of their approach to their brand or it can get in the way of or what you're after. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't really know what you want, then you can't get it. And you have to be willing to allow your beliefs to be blown sky high. Yeah, you have to be, and that's why I say you got to be willing to forgive yourself. Because you've bit. had your head blown oh, a few multiple, times, uh, yeah, and that's it. what I've always loved about when you know the conversations. Because you're like, oh wait, I just this I discovered this other continent, yeah. and it's all these <laughs> things. And, it's, and it always, but it always it's makes awesome. you it makes you a stronger person. Yes, it, people it, almost have to go through a grieving process because you get so angry with yourself, like the years you wasted, the time you wasted, like, oh yeah, kind of believing no, in an well, old. You, I always look. I feel like I'm. I mean, you, you can't deny. You know, especially when you you know, approach this, uh, when you approach art from a startup perspective or a mm-hmm. marketing pr- or business perspective, all of a sudden you're around people who are like 22 that mm. are incredibly good. Yeah. Are they, are they, they, <laughs> the way that I grew up in art schools and art training, they grew up with business, mm-hmm. right? And they don't have that same, 
that whole like art as a dirt or a business as a dirty word thing. Right. Like I they don't have the, to leave the older that. the older I get, the more I believe that that is like our generation because yeah. this new generation is like psh, money. Yeah. Right. Like they don't they Doing don't have thing. I think for the most part all for the, the most time. Part. <laughs> and and you they go don't in, see it as a conflict. And they, no. they do not have that conflict. I they, they're they, making more money than me. And they are. And, <laughs> and so so you constantly like you know I I mentor uh, a number of people now and they're all yeah. they're all younger. Yeah. And you know they're all like I get that thing where like you know they're like man you're not that old. <laughs> Which is, if anyone ever says to you, you're like, Punch in the you're face. totally old. Like, yeah. Forget yeah. it. Man, you're not. Shh, shh, you're not that you, you can gr- pass. Or you look, you look great for your age. Ugh. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you golly. do, you do. But I mean, you take do. that. You take that back. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, Somebody so, told me the other day. I never would have guessed. Yeah, oh, that's the worst. <laughs> Hard. This, but this. but you have to accept that, and you have yeah. to you have to the the younger generation. You know what what. You have to understand what you have to offer and you have to understand where you are in your own journey. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, do I wish I knew now what I, you know, 20 years ago? Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. But at the same time, um, I have something that they don't, which mm-hmm. is the experience of time. And and I, yeah. you know, there's there's a um, a startup, something that comes out of startups by a guy named Paul Graham, uh, mm-hmm. who's, a, who's a huge investor and he, he's kind of a, a legend in the startup world. Mm-hmm. And, and that is uh, when describing your startup, your business, and I, I think this applies to anything, anybody, um, you need to be a cockroach. And he's very good at descriptive language. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what the hell does that mean? Ew. Well, it's because if there is an atomic bomb, if the world ended tomorrow, cockroaches would still be roaming the earth. Yeah, so you sure. need to you need to set up your creative life, your creative business, mm-hmm. whatever it is that you do in such a way so that no matter what happens, the money runs out, the lights get turned off, you don't have a place to live, whatever the circumstance, yeah. you're still making and doing whatever it is that you need to make and do. Mm-hmm. Right. You survive, you grow, and you thrive yeah. no matter what life throws at you. Right. And that is the core of, at least for me, what yeah. you know, my my personal path in life. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, as you were saying, like, what do you bring to the table? You have to understand your own worth to understand how you can get in the game. Artists are actually, because a lot of artists listen to us and, you know, art um, as like educators, we want people to understand that, you know, you have a mindset, you as an artist have a creative mindset that is, would be well sought after or is almost like the disruptive thinking, the fact that you... Intrinsically valuable. Yeah, it's really a part of the things that sometimes it sounds like you're teaching or that are, you know, part of business and you need to have all of those things on the table so that you can feel, you know, validated to move forward because like we you know the other sort of underlying thing is that art and business were supposed to be like you know the the curtain that divides them and they're not supposed to bleed over but the younger generation is saying that's not something I'm going to enter into so it's I think a lot of those of us who are older who are I mean it's just an interesting observation but is it okay? Like I, I, I ask you guys. Like, is it okay for art and business to come together? And what would that be for the next round of people who are making art? I mean, is it art itself that we're t- we're saying could be? You know, artists can own their own own. I'm using the word broadly, mm-hmm. like own their business. But also, what would that mean as like versus just creative people who are like, I'm going to make a business out of my you right. know creative idea and then go from there. If you are an artist. And your your perspective mm-hmm. is that you are not a business. It doesn't mean you are not a business. <laughs> it means that you're really business? bad at it. So you're a business no matter what, artists, and 
be own it you, so you can be good at it. If you make something with the intent of trying to make a living doing it, you are a business. If yeah. you are if you if you have a career and you want to paint on the weekends, which is totally fine. Totally. Um and if you feel if you sell it every now and then, that's totally cool. That is different. That is right. a hobby. Right. If you are if you do not have customers coming to you on right. a regular basis, if you are not paying to somehow with it, with time mm-hmm. or money, with advertising, if you do not have recurring customers, clients, whatever, mm-hmm. to purchase your work, you are not a business. You are have a hobby. And what the other thing, though, is that those things can feed back into each other. I mean, it's like almost like a heart with a valve that allows things to rush back in. Mm-hmm. You can go from one to the other over the years. Mm-hmm. You may desire one and then not so much and then desire it again and then not so much. But during those moments, you need to be really aware of what you are doing because dissatisfaction or, you know, not to be dark, but self-loathing is the word that Mm -hmm. comes to mind. That comes when your expectations aren't being met, but maybe it's because you're not managing your expectations with your environment or your actions, you know? Right. Well, I think it's just a, it's just a, um, a personal emotional battle with reality right because of the way we've been taught i mean you can it's 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 amazing to go to an artist studio and they have calendars on the wall they have deadlines to meet they have a show to get ready for they have people assisting employees who are working on products paintings right right right. who have logistics they have to figure out who Mm -hmm. have creating companies to figure out they have their taxes they have to do they have their attorneys because you got to sign contracts (laughs) Uh, you also have to fly out to meet certain people because they might be interested in buying whatever it is I yep. have to sell. And then you say, but I'm not a business. Right. <laughs> like, like, wow, wow, that's the most business-like, unbusiness <laughs> right. I've ever seen. You're the most stressed out non- not, You're the great. most stressed out hobbyist I've ever known. How can known? I have an unbusiness? <laughs> well, when we come back, we're going to talk about art incubators and what to look for one if after all of this you've decided you want to take that step forward and possibly, you know, take a spin. So before we get into what to look for in an incubator, we're going to back up just a stippy step. <laughs> step. <laughs> just a stippy step and talk about the types of art incubators because Todd has <laughs> actually done some research as I knew he would. So yes. lay it on us. Yeah. And I did this because I, I, I knew this was going to be the topic, yeah. obviously. And, and I was a little confused because I was like, well, I know what an incubator was. I, I know what accelerators are. I've mm-hmm. been parts of them. But when I started to apply it to art, uh, it, it started, the lines quickly blurred, <laughs> right? And so this is essentially, there's essentially four main buckets mm-hmm. of art incubators, mm-hmm. okay? So there's the artist-serving incubator, mm-hmm. okay? So the artist-serving incubator are incubators that focus on the development of art by individual artists. They focus on the artists themselves, mm-hmm. right? The development of the artist. Then there's also community-serving incubators. Uh, that is an incubator that is, that uh, uses the development of art towards community development. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I see. very self-explanatory. Yep. Um, then there are creative entrepreneur serving incubators. So the creative entrepreneur uh, is essentially a small business incubator that is focused on the creative industries. Got so it. this is something like the like New Ink, yeah, right, which is mm-hmm. museum hosted, but they have they have art as technology, uh, and they also have art yeah. technology businesses, right. And then there are arts organization serving incubators. And these are incubators that exist primarily to educate other organizations. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the confusion comes because um, you know, essentially the word incubator is kind of a buzzword so that people 
people don't have a clear understanding of what that means, yeah. right? And and determining for yourself if you're interested in, in um, hopping into an art incubator, it really uh, depends on what your specific interest right. is, right? What whether it's for you, for. whether you want to do a business, whether you want to help the community, these mm-hmm. kind of things. So essentially what... Um, any incubator, whether it's basically an art incubator or business incubator, uh, which is where art incubators took the idea. Yeah. Um, essentially, what you want to work for, there's a few things. The mm-hmm. first is training. Um, and that is uh, supporting whatever your uh, objective is, mm-hmm. right? You want to be trained on whatever it is that you do, whether it's business or technical or something yeah. else, right? Um these are usually in the form of workshops uh, on strategic planning or finance or legal issues, which mm-hmm. is a huge one. NIFA does a great job of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also business assistance. So this is business planning or tax assistance or personnel recruiting or marketing and all the other stuff that artists don't know anything about. <laughs> um, and financial capital, even things like that. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll, we'll let we'll that, that one go. One. <laughs> um, there are also uh, facilities Right. So this yeah. is providing office space or conference rooms or production space, retail space, pop up shop space, right. studio space, mm-hmm. actually giving you a location to work or do your thing. And then there is also grant funding. A lot of incubators, whether it's through traditional investment or through uh, grants. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that several incubators will help with. They actually provide mm-hmm. direct lines to that. And finally, and probably most important is personal networks. Right. Yeah. Meeting other people who are doing things that are in the same vein as what you're doing, um, because that's the, the strength of a network is probably the most valuable thing. Mm-hmm. So and especially important if you did not go to one of those top three schools. That we're <laughs> by so far. important. Yeah. No. And so I think if I was looking for an art incubator, I think I'd first look at, you know, or I guess understanding what I'm getting. If I'm, you know, understand the structure of it, what are the things that they are truly offering as opposed to thinking, oh, all of them are the same and they must all offer the same kind of things. It's not that. Some are just rental space opportunities that use the name as a buzzword. Mm-hmm. And then there are those that can be really an intense and rigorous. Right. So there are there are incubators that are essentially residencies. Yeah. Right. And they, and they just know that that's a marketing term and they should probably use it. And if you don't know better or you don't know what you're specifically looking for, yeah. uh, you know, you're going to get stuck somewhere where you might not be happy. Right? Yeah. So the another one that I has sort of came up to based on the research is that, like, what are your going to what are your measures of success going to be your personal ones? Because those are going to be the things that you're left with at the end. So really be clear about what you want, because a lot of these can be very. Um, the journey is mm-hmm. the success. And if that's not what you want, if you are looking for specific trainings or checking the boxes on certain skill sets, mm-hmm. that's what you want to seek right. out. Right. Same with if it's process-driven or resolution-driven. Are you looking to really learn something together with a group or are you looking to get somewhere? Um, and then the other one that for me has always been really interesting is who's on the list of mentors? Who am I going to have contact with? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, curators I want to speak to, editors, and will those people help me further my goals? Yeah. And a big one is if you're if you're considering a, a, an incubator, um, any incubator, find people who went through that program and email them, call them up. Uh, find out from the horse's mouth if they mm-hmm. enjoyed it or not. Yeah. Uh, the reason I know that New Ink is a good program is because I I met people who went through it and they yeah. were just just talking praise, heaping praise upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that based on their experience, that is probably a good program. Right. right. 
And and especially because there's so much diversity. I mean, there can be some that are like, you have to be here, you know, clocking in hours. or And then are some that, you know, it's very loose. It, it, you have to know your style and what you really want out of it. So there is a certain amount of, you know, self-searching before you, you, you should probably even look at what's out there because you want to know and be clear on your goals. Yeah, you got to know what you want. <laughs> Absolutely. Got to know what you want. Um, how to find art incubators. Now, I found that the National Business Incubation Association um, and then the Ana- National Assembly of State Art Agencies and Americans for the Arts. And all of those links will be on the, in the show notes. In the yeah. show notes. But, Todd, others yeah, I have, to add to I have, Besides Google, uh-huh. I have one <laughs> which is which is uh, you might want to contact the uh, NBIA which is the International Business Innovation Association. Oh. Uh, they actually track, like that's what they do, is track incubators and accelerators. Yeah. Uh, so they have the list of everything. So a simple phone call or maybe you hop on their website. Yeah. Probably a phone call because they have memberships and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but you should be able to find uh, through them uh, a good list of the art you know, incubators mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. at least. And I feel like what you've taught us today is that people want to talk and they want to share. They and do. hopefully very low douche ratio. People, and you know, <laughs> the low douche ratio and, you know, if, if worse comes to worse, mm-hmm. all you got to remember is that people love to talk about themselves. <laughs> so Just get them started. You just get them started. Yeah, They're yeah, like, yeah. man, you're that, you guys were awesome. <laughs> that was the best, that was the best interview ever. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we didn't say two words, dude. No, it's just your questions. I mean, I really felt like it, it's just, just so good. You get those weird whisperers all the time. Those are real people that talk to you like that, Todd. I would, I should be so lucky. No, no, no. Um, well, okay. So after all of this, you know, do you think with your own personal experience and then of course I'll riff on, you know, my finite experience with these, you know, do you think art incubators or I guess what we're really talking about is artists becoming more and more comfortable understanding that they can and should blend all of their skills as an artist or a maker with their their business skill sets because that matters, right? So we want that fusion. We want to understand that that actually matters. Yeah, you, you got to learn, um, and hopefully you don't learn the hard way, mm-hmm. that the business side, the selling side, the marketing side uh, is just as crucial, uh, and I would even argue at this point, more crucial mm-hmm. than the art itself. Mm-hmm. And you also have to understand that that is also part of the craft. You can paint, you can sculpt, you can draw, whatever your your mm-hmm. technical skill is. That's great. That's 50%. You put your 10,000 hours in that, you're still, you're only halfway there. You're still in the hole. You're still in the hole. Wow. You've, gotta, you've got to understand that just as important as the brush or mm-hmm. the or the blowtorch, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. is the selling marketing side of things. If you don't at least experiment with that the same way you would experiment with clay, yeah. you're in trouble. But then there's also the opportunity, because, you know, I'm saying, and I'm, I I literally just said it, th- we need to fuse these together. And, you know, I indicated that that was in one person, but it might also be that as artists and creative entrepreneurs, maybe swirl around yep. each other, maybe partnerships on a local level become more viable too and then it isn't like you said it's not a partner on this like this anonymous gallery scale sort of bullying you and keeping you in a box but it's something that you know two people one Levels the playing field yeah and it, it allows maybe a partnership to work that plays to your strengths yeah. i mean i'm not saying that nobody you know 
just like, you know, those marriages where, you know, the one partner doesn't know the check where the checkbook is or whatever <laughs> that is. But it's like maybe that's something, too. Yeah. I mean, I think there are different types of partnerships that you can you can go about mm-hmm. creating. Like if you're if you're like, man, I, I, I know I need to learn the business side of things, but I don't know the first thing about it. And I'm not a business person and I don't want to launch a company yeah. and all that. OK, well, well, if you're a painter, you know, find find a corner store and find a wall to paint. Go talk to the owner and be like, hey, man, can I paint your wall? I'll do it if you just pay for the materials. Yeah. Like just <laughs> just having starting to craft some type of business type of relationship with somebody, mm-hmm. anybody mm-hmm. will get you going on that on that. You have to gain experience. Yeah. Right. Um, craft fairs. What It doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. Even it all don't, contributes you, to the you, Again, you have to be willing to blow up your beliefs. Craft mm-hmm. fairs are beneath me. Well, then, you know, go somewhere else. But but. You know, you break your own, you know, get out of your box. Yeah. You yeah. got you to gotta learn how to talk to people about yeah. your work on a one-to-one basis. And hopefully they walk away with something that you made. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to exchange whatever it is that you do for money. Mm-hmm. Because I'd also, va- money is the ultimate validator for any business. Yeah. That's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Press doesn't matter. Uh, someone telling you that they like your work doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the ex- it is... It is so hard to go from zero dollars to one dollar. Mm-hmm. It is that is the hardest part of any mm-hmm. of any customer client relationship. It is yeah. so hard for, to get somebody to pull out their wallet mm-hmm. and pull out a credit card or a dollar bill or whatever and hand it to you in exchange for something mm-hmm. that uh, you need to start now. And yeah. the 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 magic of it is that it's easier by far to go from one dollar to. Thirty or fifty thousand dollars, yeah. way easier. Yeah. Someone who's given you a dollar is is much more likely to purchase from you again. You're gonna mm-hmm. get your confidence up. You're gonna be like, "Wow, I actually sold that!" Like, right. "Holy cow!" Like, I have somebody who bought something from me. Yes. Well, and I was just gonna say, so don't continue believing in the starving artist fiction because no. you have inherent abilities and almost responsibilities to yourself to use those abilities to you know, make a sustainable art career because no one else is going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. And everything, right. everything around you is going to get a lot harder. So it's the answers are within you. You just have to, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in personal man up. I, I'm a big believer in personal responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, like at no point. At, and then maybe this is also the whole belief system thing Yeah, that at no point in my life or my career, when, when I was homeless, because mm-hmm. I was, yeah. when I was taking showers at the Carmine Recreation Center, next to homeless dudes, right? Mm -hmm. At no point did I say, you know, this is somebody else's fault. (laughs) Like, I was like, this is on me. Like Mm -hmm. nobody, I'm not, I never expected anybody to give me anything because Mm -hmm. no one's ever given me anything. Mm -hmm. So get out there and fucking do it. Like, okay, I clearly there's a hole in my knowledge somewhere. It's up to me to figure it out because there's no magic butterfly person that's going to come in and and tell me I want magic butterfly people, but they're not real. (laughs) They're not going to save. No one's coming to save you. You know what I mean? Um, like you gotta, you gotta take it upon yourself, yourself to to figure it out. And everybody has the same twenty four hours in the day. You and Warren Buffett are on the same clock. Doesn't yeah. mean you got to be a bazillionaire, but you know maybe making a couple grand a month so you can pay your rent is not as difficult as you think if you take certain steps mm-hmm. and yep. get outside your box. Yep. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, then last thoughts about art incubators. I mean, Sam, what are you thinking as a... I mean, I think this has been really inspiring to me, too, just in the sense that when you're talking about getting out of your box, I think people continuously have to challenge themselves to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, I think that's like people are are so resistant to that first step. Like, 
doing the messy business of this kind of work. Um, and sometimes when you find when you just go through it, it's so much uh, less awful than you were imagining. Um, momentum, I guess, is what I'm taking away from this. That's a that's a huge point. Um, being comfortable in being uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh, is massive because mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is is that um, comfort and growth are diametrically opposing forces. You are not going to be comfortable mm-hmm. when you grow. Growth, by definition, is uncomfortable because you are doing new things, breaking yeah. new ground. You know, um, you're going to get butterflies in your stomach. You're going to get mm-hmm. nervous. You might get the shakes. You're just going to be terrified. Whatever it is, yeah. everyone, everyone's body affects them in different ways when mm-hmm. it comes to being uncomfortable. But you got to learn to accept that, and mm-hmm. you got to learn to to look for it because if you're in a if if you go if you've never been to a meetup before with like business owner, I'm just pulling something out of there, right? Yeah. If you're an artist and you've never been to a meetup with business owners before and you all of a sudden go, you're like, you know, you feel so out of place, fish out of water, all of that. That uncomfortability is growth. Yes. The minute you meet somebody and you, you're, all of those fears go away, like, oh, you're not crazy. Like <laughs> once you once you talk to somebody and, and those your guard starts to come down a little yep. bit, you get a little more comfortable and you have taken that next step. The the biggest problem uh, or the biggest thing you should avoid or, or look out for is comfort. Mm-hmm. And you can be comfortable in the worst circumstances. Worst circumstance. People get very used to oh, yeah. poverty. Yeah. People get used to their circumstance. It becomes normal. So taking that step outside of that, uh, outside of your comfort zone is mm-hmm. something you must do. That is, that is positive. It is, it is absolute gold. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. It's just like going to the gym and working out, right? What makes your muscles grow? Well, it's resistance. Well, that resistance is your muscles being uncomfortable. You're putting them in a stressful situation. Mm -hmm. You need to do the same thing with your mind and and the rest of your body. You got to do that with your mind. You got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. I used to give myself the 10 minute rule when I would go to like networking (laughs) things or, or freelancing parties or whatever. I would tell myself like, just show up. Fucking show up and stay for ten minutes, yep. and then ninety nine percent of the time I stayed for two hours. Right. That's right. But just knowing I had that doorway and saying it's a success, even if I stay for ten minutes and I go home, absolutely, That's and right. I showed up. And, but- I, and I used to. I mean, it doesn't sound like it, but I'm actually a pretty introverted person. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, you can't tell. But you know, when I when I go to, even to this day, when I go to meetups, I'm just like, just meet one person, yeah. just talk to one new person, just one. Otherwise, yeah. you wasted your time. Yeah, I mean, you know, you drink enough beer and wine, you're like, okay, <laughs> fine. What, what's your name? <laughs> what's your? What do you do? No, but I think the bottom line is for all of this to happen, artists have to come to the table. Yeah, they have to be willing, and you know, incubators or even the activities that they facilitate are things that. First of all, you know, combat the fact that the art world is in flux. There are younger younger artists who don't have they're the... Coming every day. <laughs> they are. They're coming after you. They don't have the hangups. And art and business are merging. They're merging in un- yeah. other industries. So put the emphasis on your goals, on collaboration, all of the things that mm-hmm. I think a, a incubator can do, and then just... I'll sort of allow the next step. Yeah, and I, at the end of the day, there's only two options. You are either actively working to build your dream or you're actively working to build someone else's dream. Mm-hmm. Ouch. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Well, with that, Todd, Wanish, thank you so much thank for so being much. here. Sure, this absolutely. was an amazing episode, per usual. Uh, <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, guys. 
Art Openings is brought to you by Artist Network and is recorded at Banana Peel Studios in Brooklyn, New York. This podcast is produced by Courtney Jordan and Samantha Sanders with audio production by Chris Weingarten. Thanks for listening and be sure to rate us on iTunes. 